Hey there, Kelly here. Guests on the show share so many great ideas, but how do you start putting them into practice? Well, that's exactly what you'll explore when you sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. Each week, you'll get three ideas from past guests sent straight to your inbox. You'll explore materials, techniques, tools, concepts, and mindsets in bite-sized pieces so that you can think about them and fold them into your own practice. It's completely free and you get it by signing up at learntopaintpodcast.com slash newsletter. A lot of these elements of more abstraction are parts that aren't pre-planned at all. So I'm pre-planning the composition of the figures and then responding to the painting as it develops. Hello and welcome to the Learn to Paint podcast, the show that gives you artistic tools you can put to work. I'm your host, Kelly Ann Powers. Today, I'm talking with artist Zoe Frank. In the conversation, discover how to take on large, complex subjects, how you can use historical work as inspiration for your compositions, and why you might want to leave some colors off your palette, plus a whole lot more. Over in the podcast art club in your extended cut bonus, explore how doing a study mid-process may help you problem solve and the importance of having really specific ideas when we explore. Take a listen now by joining the podcast art club at any tier, and you'll find over 30 additional extended cuts to explore. Plus, you'll get access to monthly group challenges, each designed to help you build practical tools into your art practice. For show notes, links, and to see some of Frank's work, head to learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 80. I start the interview by asking Frank how she got started in art. I was always interested in kind of making things as a child. I spent a lot of time in my family basement working on little projects. And then when I was in, I went to a Waldorf school. And when we were in seventh grade, we had a unit on like Renaissance art. And I was like, that is what I want to do. Those guys seem the coolest. You know, did a lot of art in high school and then kind of didn't know where to go after that, I guess. I was really interested in kind of, you know, like that Renaissance painting. And what I was seeing at the art schools was much more conceptual, contemporary, you know, modern contemporary work that didn't resonate at the time. So I started a kind of undergraduate program at a small liberal arts college and then ended up dropping out and found my way to, to Gage and to Juliet Aristides' atelier, where I was able to kind of be really doing those classic classical skills and really learning to paint the way that those old masters had done. And that just felt like wonderful to stumble across. I didn't know that that existed before and I kind of found my way into it. And at the time, you know, I was, guess I was 20. It was just felt like a magical place to be. Well, yeah. So for people who haven't maybe heard of an atelier, could you just talk about sort of what they are and how they differ from something like an art school, like official, like undergraduate or master's degree? They're all a little different in how they're run, but this one was, it was a four-year program and I was just studying under one person for four years. And we spent the entire first year learning to draw, working from a live model every morning and then doing cast drawings and master copies and things like that in the afternoons. And then the second entire year was, was just painting in black and white. And then we finally worked our way into color in the third year. And then the fourth year did some more kind of personal projects a little bit. You master one set of skills before you progress on to the next at your own pace. So there was a total of 16 students in the program over the course of four years. And you're just in the studio working every day and just really learning how to kind of, it's basically you're learning how to paint a single object under a single light source with great accuracy and volume, <laughs> which is really hard to do. And having that skill is really useful. And then afterwards, I realized that there's a lot more to actually making paintings and to the art world and 
I'm much more interested in some of that modern and contemporary work that's happening in, in university programs and wanted to actually bring more of that into my painting practice after the fact. But when I was when I was 20, that was not not my interest at all. You know, so many people when they're self-taught just want to jump into the painting, like finished paintings. What did really learning that foundation give you for your later work? It just, it feels like the kind of basis for everything that I have this like basic understanding of how to make an image work and how to build form and draw accurately just feels really important. And it's also been the thing that I've kind of been pushing back against since then. So it's like all of the work that I'm doing now with these experiments that are very different than the work I was doing in the atelier or all feel like they're kind of in reaction to the atelier that I have this basis to then be reacting against. Like I know what the rules are to then try and break them a little bit. And at first those experiments were like really small things. And now they're like I've joked about in the atelier, we wouldn't make any square paintings. Like historically, you don't really see square compositions very much. Really the rectangle is where it's at. And the squares kind of create a, a little bit of kind of compositional problems. You know, like one of the first things I did when I left the atelier is I made like a square painting and I felt like I was being so radical or something, you know, and then looking around at the rest of the world, it's like, okay, this is a, a very tame experiment. Did having those really solid foundation, did it give you a sense of freedom in the sense that like you could work on paintings where you were let the idea lead you because you weren't trying to figure out like, how do I mix a green? How do I create a sphere? I don't know. It's interesting because I went into graduate school after that and I was thinking that I'd like, okay, I've learned how to paint and now I'm going to like really be thinking about what I want to paint. And it's going to be all about the kind of conceptual ideas behind the work. And it ended up being the case that I was much more, I just continue to be really interested in the formal aspects of like how we make paintings, but thinking more about like that, how we paint kind of means different things that if I'm painting in like the style of a 19th century academic painter, like that doesn't make sense to me today. And that how I mix my greens is actually like, like it says something like, am I using a, you know, a bright cadmium green, or am I only mixing my greens from, you know, blues and yellows and making mucky greens, like those paintings mean different things, just through the kind of how we're putting the paint on the canvas and, you know, the color choices we're making, the types of pigments we're using, that that all is conveying the meaning in the work in some way. So I don't have like big conceptual ideas that I want to get across in my paintings. I'm just so much more interested in exploring all the different ways that we can approach making images and just continuing to love that kind of basic stuff of like, all right, how am I mixing my greens? But it is really helpful to be like, okay, I can make this as volumetric as possible if I want to, but do I want to? Or is it kind of interesting to have some of my shapes be flatter rather than having everything be completely rounded? So just really playing with those kind of basic technical elements of making images that I think I started out often, you know, with in the atelier with one kind of set rule of like, okay, this is how you make paintings. This is how you make volume. And this is how you mix color. And then realizing like, oh, there's a lot of other ways to approach this. But I still love that side of things. Well, we're going to jump into materials for your paintings. What surfaces do you use? And almost more importantly, what do you need from those surfaces? I'm pretty flexible. I like, I really like experimenting. So I'm happy to try out different surfaces and, and paint on different things. But I've been lately tending to use a lot of, for the smaller paintings, using panels, often with the aluminum composite material, sometimes mounted with linen on top is a really nice surface. And it's been fun to do some where I start with just unstretched linen, and then I have a studio assistant who mounts them up for me. So I can like, I can just start on a piece of linen that's just kind of tacked up on a board or on the, on the wall. And then determine what the edges, what the parameters of my composition are kind of partway through the painting rather than at the beginning of the project. 
So that's been a fun kind of experimental way to work where I'm just feel more kind of flexible as I'm starting the painting. And then for the larger paintings I've been working on, linen or canvas that stretched, because I've been working on some that are, you know, up to, well, I have one, one right now that's <laughs> in five different canvases that's going to be a total of 18 feet high by 20 feet wide. Panels get a little heavy when you get that large. <laughs> the big ones have been more like eight by 12 feet or something. But again, the linen is great to be able to roll up and ship and not have it weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Right. If it falls on you, you would like to not die. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I've been really liking working kind of almost at, well, with that super giant painting, it's actually larger than life figures for the first time ever. But for most of the projects, I've been kind of working around life size. So if I have a group of 20 figures, they end up being on like a 12 foot canvas. If I'm painting a sandwich, that's like on a, you know, those were like 16 inch panel or something. So everything's kind of scaled according to what I'm painting, I guess. But that, that informs the size, like the, the actual thing. Yeah, exactly. You paint with oils, but what do oil paints give you as an artist? I love oil paints. Both of them are so flexible that you can build up thick paint or you can build up thin paint in transparent layers. There's a sense of being able to rework things, you know, both building up those opaque layers or also being able to kind of work into the wet paint. There's just, it's like, there's so many different ways that you can work with oils that, that you get this kind of really wide variety of surface textures and effects and... They just feel so juicy and alive to me, where, you know, acrylics are basically made out of plastic and are pretty flat and they dry really quickly. Like there's painters whose work I love who are working with acrylic who are doing you know, just wonderful work. But I just, in terms of actually being in the studio and handling these materials, I love the kind of embodied juiciness of the oil paint. It feels like it's this real substance that's been you know dug up from the ground and crushed rocks and juicy oils and it's all mixed together. And it feels like really related to kind of the substances of the body in some way that like, it's like this kind of visceral viscous goop and it just that kind of can recreate flesh like nothing else in a way that's just really magical. Then do you add any mediums to your oils? I'll start the painting with some Gamsol usually to kind of thin out the paint. And then I've actually been just liking the Winsor & Newton artist painting medium. It's basically a linseed oil or a stand oil with a little bit of Gamsol in it, basically. But it just comes pre-mixed and it, there's not too much sinking in that happens with it. It just is kind of a nice, easy go-to for me at the moment. Are you generally working wet into wet or are you letting layers dry in between? I am working more on top of dry, but it varies and I'm not too rigid about it. Like it tends to just work out that way where I'm working on a larger painting and, you know, I kind of am working on one area and then I'm working on the next area and kind of trying to bring up the whole painting all together. And by the time I get back around to the first part, it's pretty much dry, but there are smaller projects where I'm just working into the wet paint the next day and just kind of upping the ante and, and adding more paint on top. So they get kind of thick and crusty and a little weird. And I kind of don't mind that there's parts where it's wet into wet and that has one kind of effect to it. And then there's parts where I'm kind of pulling wet paint across a dry surface and creating this kind of texture that's a little rough, where it's just being kind of dragged across and you're kind of only catching on the top bumps of the canvas or on the top bumps of the paint that was there before. It's kind of fun that it, it's almost like this archival record of all the different layers of how this painting happened to be built and the changes that happened over the course of it is another aspect that I find fun. Like so often in these big paintings, there's some parts where there's actually still just raw canvas showing in little bits. And there's parts where you're seeing the first layer of paint and there's parts where you're seeing the second layer of paint. And then there's parts where you're seeing like 40 layers of me trying to figure out how to paint one area. <laughs> and that variety feels pretty wonderful with oil paints, what you can achieve there.
do you work with a limited palette or do you have a more expanded palette? Like how many colors do you generally work with? That's also changed a lot. Again, in that with that atelier training, we had a really limited earth tone palette and it felt like this really bold move to be suddenly like introducing cadmiums and some of these more synthetic colors onto the palette. But so I still do some experiments where sometimes I'll just pick three colors and kind of weird colors. Like instead of having a red, a yellow and a blue as my kind of primaries, I'll have like what if it's cad green that's serving as my yellow and alizarin that's my red and just black that's my blue or something like something that's kind of close to those primaries, but doesn't actually let me mix a full range of color can be kind of a fun experiment to do. So there's some paintings where I do something like that. And then, but then my kind of go-to standard palette at the moment is mainly cadmiums. I tend to have kind of a warm and cool of each color. So I'll have like titanium white, cadmium lemon, cadmium yellow, cadmium orange, cadmium red light, alizarin, ultramarine blue, phthalo blue, ivory black, and maybe a cad green would be kind of a full palette standard go-to thing for me right now. And I'm deliberately leaving off those earth tones that I had used so much at the beginning so that I'm forcing myself to mix up my own versions of those things. So rather than kind of defaulting to using yellow ochre or something, I'm mixing my own version of what a yellow ochre would be. And it's like, depending on the circumstance, it ends up being just slightly more orange or it's slightly more chromatic or it's a little greener or whatever. But it feels like I'm forcing myself to be more specific in my mixing choices by having a more chromatic start to my palette and then mixing those neutrals myself. I had this tendency, I think, to kind of default to like, oh yeah, you know, burnt umber for the shadows. You know, if it gets a little warmer, we add a little yellow ochre. You can just kind of get a little bit lazy with some of those things. So it's been helpful to switch up my palette and, you know, forcing myself to really look and say like, okay, what color and value am I actually seeing there and try and mix that up. Because you're working on multiple paintings at a time, and for some of them, maybe you've decided like, I'm using these three colors. How do you keep that organized from a palette standpoint? When I've done that, I've had separate palettes going, actually, like either a glass palette that's just designated to one painting. And if I do a really limited palette with like those three colors, I'll do more pre-mixing. So I'll mix up kind of colors in between those colors then mix some tints with white as well so that there's I'm just kind of closer to being able to match the colors that I'm wanting to get. So I'll pre-mix those palettes a little bit and, and just leave them set up for that painting and then have another palette going for some other project. How many palettes do you have going right now? I only have one that's actually active, but I have a couple others that are sitting around and on hand if needed. <laughs> well, then, do you work in series? I do, which is also kind of a more recent development coming out of the academic training. Each project was its own specific, complete thing. And then it's actually been really helpful to feel like I can kind of be working on it's sort of like, you know, that there isn't just one right way for an image to be, that there's variations on these ideas. It has offered a lot more room for exploration. And also exploring those formal elements of painting again, like the kind of how I'm making the paintings. So I did a series of 14 paintings of sandwiches that were exploring pictorial space. And just having it be a sandwich every time, like takes the pressure off of the kind of subject matter. It's just like, oh, I'm just painting a sandwich. It's like nothing, nothing important, nothing to, you know, that has any sentimental value to me or anything like that, that I'm trying to convey some meaning. It just is what it is. And then I can really, really be playing with space and color and how I'm organizing a painting which is, I think, just helpful for me to have that freeze me up a little bit, I think, to really focus on those parts that I find kind of more exciting. Are you working on multiple series at a time? Or are you generally, the thinking is sort of all in one series at a time? Well, it's a little bit of both, I guess. There's some that have been just like, we spent 
a month in Berlin a couple summers ago, and I made a you know series of eight paintings looking across the courtyard at the windows at the other side of the building. So that was just a month where I was painting you know these eight windows, which was wonderful to do. And then I do feel like the kind of larger multiple figure compositions are, have been in kind of a series. And like I was doing a bunch of kind of these pool party scenes, and now they're kind of moving into like the backyard picnic-y kind of scenario. But they they still feel very related to each other. But I'm only working on one of those giant paintings at a time. So that's kind of a series that spread out over the course of years where I have simultaneously have other smaller projects that might be part of another series kind of going at the same time. So I think there is some some overlap from one one set of projects to the other, but they're all kind of related to each other. It's not like completely distinct bodies of work. How do series sort of begin in your mind? Often it's like I do one thing and I'm like, oh, I want to do a variation. I want to do another variation on that. Like that was really cool. But what if I did this to it? Like that one worked, but I I have some idea for how it could shift a little bit. And I want to kind of keep pursuing that idea that it doesn't feel kind of fully used up from the one painting. So some of them have been that way. Other ones, like those windows, I think I was actually thinking about like Monet's painting of like the Rouen Cathedral, you know, like those kind of different variations of the light across a building over the course of a day. So as I was looking at that view, I was seeing there was kind of a night view where you're able to see into people's windows and the building becomes blue. And I was watching and seeing, you know, another time of day where the our side of the building was reflected was like the shadow of it was cast across onto the, you know, the wall over there and created this beautiful shadow shape. So I was kind of looking at that motif and saying like, oh, wow, that kind of has that effect of like all of these different variations on it that are really wonderful. And I kind of want to see them all together. So I was from the beginning looking at that as a series of just it seemed like it it would be fun to paint as a series right from the start. And yeah, and and I guess and for the sandwiches, I was trying to come up with something that would work to kind of explore all these different ideas about space. What got me interested in them, it was actually the white and red checkered kind of takeout sandwich wraps. And I ended up so there was like a, a little like deli near my studio that I got like the first sandwich from. And then I realized that like, this was so sad to buy these beautiful, delicious sandwiches and then just let them kind of decay in my studio. So I ended up buying some of that checked pattern deli paper on Amazon and made my own sandwiches instead. <laughs> and then I could make them without any mayo or mustard or anything. So they would just kind of petrify instead of molding. It was, yeah, they were truly disgusting sandwiches. There's sometimes this urgency of, oh, I've painted it. I can't paint it again. What do you get from staying with a subject instead of jumping to the next thing and exploring that, what do you get from just like, yeah, really staying with one thing for a little bit of time or a long time? Yeah, I think it it lets me kind of go deeper into that thing, but also just feel that there isn't one right way for it to be, that it isn't, this isn't the definitive version of a sandwich, (laughs) that there are multiple sandwiches and multiple like angles that we can look at a sandwich from. Like, I think we have a tendency to come up with, you know, our initial idea for a painting is always the central object of the painting in the middle of the canvas, front and center, looking straight at it. And that's also my first idea for a painting. It's like this really kind of boring, basic, schematic version of the concept. You know, sometimes I try to kind of progress myself beyond just doing that right from the beginning. But if you do that version, then you kind of go like, okay, well, what else can I do with this? You know, what is it like to look at this from above? with the table at an angle instead of straightforward, you know, it's like a more kind of embodied way that we actually inhabit the world and look at things, you know, might be looking kind of down and from an angle at things. We don't tend to, you know, be sitting straight onto a table at all times, but for some reason we tend to make paintings where we're looking straight at a table at the table edge being 90 degrees to the canvas. 
So I think it just, it like pushes me further to kind of push those explorations further to make paintings that are a little bit more peculiar and a little more particular to me if I'm kind of working through the same subject over and over again. Degas is such a great example of that where he just is painting, you know, like these ballet dancers over and over and over again. And there's somewhere there's like a ballet dancer doing a, you know, pirouette on the stage or whatever, but most of them end up being like these strange views from backstage where you're just seeing little feet underneath a curtain and somebody's elbow sticking out and they just become so much more interesting and peculiar as he paints this over and over and over again. We get to see it from all these different angles and all different types of lighting and different ways that you could view this scene. Does it help you create an environment of play in your process? Yeah, I think that's true too. Yeah, definitely. Could you give us a bird's eye view of your process? It does depend on the project. I like having these smaller paintings that I'm working from observation. In those, I'm often starting from observation, building up the forms, really trying to match the color and values that I'm seeing, and then messing with them a little bit and kind of playing with, the, the again, that kind of sense of space. And I've been thinking about it as almost kind of abstract solutions to representational problems. Like if the composition isn't working, do I need to add another object, you know, to balance it out? Or could I just add a little like rectangle of yellow? <laughs> and so that's where some of these kind of abstract elements have been coming into the paintings. With the larger projects, I am doing a lot more pre-planning. So I have these complicated multiple figure compositions where I will be starting with historical references. I'll be gathering the images on my in a photo album on my laptop that feel related to the project and starting to think through what the painting might be. And then and I'm kind of starting from the formal side of things. Like I was just wanting to like put a bunch of bodies together in space and show more bodies. So the pool parties kind of came out of that of like, how can I get all of these bodies to be together in space? And it felt like a pool was a good setting to get lots of bodies together. So it's less about the idea of the painting and more about the shapes and forms that I want to be exploring. But anyway, so I'll start with those kind of historical references and then start thinking through what my own composition is going to be and then have models pose for reference photos, which is mainly friends and family that for these, getting people together to pose in groups of one or two or three people. And then I'm putting them kind of together as a composite image sometimes on the computer or sometimes just in gouache studies to work out the color and value relationships and poses. And then I start working on the large canvas, kind of massing in big shapes. So each form will have like a, a head that's just a big piece of shadow and a big piece of light. So I'll cover the entire canvas within just a couple of days, getting in those, working from that gouache study, which is pretty simplified as well. So which is kind of nice with the gouache studies as well, because I'll also be putting those in just as like, you know, half a head is shadow, half a head is light. I'm not thinking about all the details, you know, of these facial features and things. I'm just thinking about the big abstract arrangement of light and dark shapes. So I lay those in and then start working the painting up all together. I work from kind of the back to the front and from the shadow side to the light side. So putting in the sky and then working on the shadows and then working on the lights and kind of repeating that kind of through the whole painting process, building up layers of paint as I'm getting more and more particular, breaking those big shapes down into smaller shapes. For you, like if you're you're thinking about like, okay, I want a, a painting with a bunch of bodies. Do you sort of think about that and then like head to the art books and start looking at how historical painters have used bodies? Yeah. So my painting Pool Party is based on Eugene Delacroix's The Massacre at Chios. So I'm looking at the kind of specific composition of bodies that he had in that painting. So sometimes it's starting with a historical painting and going like, how could I use this image to create a composition? Or sometimes it's more general, just like I'm 
I've been thinking about kind of stacking and packing my bodies together. Like I really love these Baroque compositions where the figures don't diminish in size as quickly as they should as they go back in space. Everybody kind of pushes forward towards the front of the canvas. It's almost as if they're projecting into the viewer's space from the shallow back wall. So I've been wanting to have some of that, which also seen like a Piero della Francesca, like the Oh, the legend of the true cross has this great battle scene where all of these just big round forms are pressing up against each other. It's a battle that has like so little space in it. Everything is just like really forward on the wall. So sometimes it's like a particular painting that I'm playing with the composition of. And sometimes it's just this like, this is the type of feeling of bodies, how bodies are relating to each other on a canvas that I want to explore. And how can I get bodies to all be like coming forward, coming into the, you know, filling the whole canvas rather than being little scattered pieces, <laughs> little little tiny bodies in a big space. For all those different steps, how do you decide to move to the next step, right? Like, how do you decide, okay, this is a good enough idea. I'm going to ask my friends and family to show up for a photo shoot. How do you know the idea is ready to go to the next step? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I think I, I do kind of mull it over for a while, usually. and do some sketches and things. And if I'm still excited about it, I think that helps. Like if I'm doing some sketches and I'm like, oh yeah, this is kind of cool. That's a good sign. Where if I'm doing sketches and I'm like, I can't figure this out. You know, maybe it's going to be on the back burner for a while longer. And in this case, yeah, I have like one, one idea that I started trying to sketch out last summer and I just, I couldn't quite, I, it like didn't coalesce into a painting yet. You know, and it's just, that's the idea of having kind of a, like a cafe scene with these different tables of people and having different family groupings that are maybe conveying different stages of life or something. But I don't know, I did some studies and it was just, it's not working as a, it just didn't feel like a painting yet. It's like a kind of a conceptual idea, maybe more than like really reading as a visual idea at this point. So I have a couple of sketches in a sketchbook and maybe I'll come back to that in a couple of years. And if, it, if, you know, if I'm still excited about it, where there's another one that's kind of this picnic scene of family and friends. And like that one has just sort of come together more easily. It just it felt like, oh, okay, I can like picture how this is going to be a painting. So I moved ahead with that one. It almost sounds like it's a combination of excited, but also like the composition is something that you're trusting would work visually, like a combination of those things. Yeah, I think that is true that it has to be like a full visual experience. And I have to have a kind of sense of that. I think I make a lot of changes as the paintings develop. But I want to have an idea of what I'm exploring formally. Like, am I wanting to play with more abstraction or a specific kind of color palette, like some specific formal idea that I'm going to be playing with in the painting? And then also a sense of what is this whole environment going to be? I never want to be painting, you know, some figures and then be thinking about what the background is going to be after the fact, which I think is something that we can do as beginner painters. Where it's like, all right, I'll, I'll figure out the background later. I want the whole, like the background and the figures and the environment that they're in all has to be locked into place like a jigsaw puzzle or something. It all has to like be supporting each other and leading towards, you know, what the idea of the painting is. So the kind of structure of is this a triangular composition or a circular composition or, you know, where are my lights and darks? I want some idea of that as I'm moving forward with the project. Do you find that formal idea in those first sketches or do you sort of solidify that formal idea in the like you've had the models and now you're working on the gouache painting i think it works better if i actually do the gouache some of the gouache studies from my imagination first and then pose people into those poses so that i'm starting with that more thought through version of what like how i want it to be rather than just what happens to be there and then 
having models and having the particularity of their, you know, of the poses that they can actually do and what actually happens is also then adds another kind of layer on top of that. But it's nice if I have an idea of like, okay, I want this person to be reaching up with their right arm and leaning over and have the light on their face like this, rather than having people come in and just say, oh, do whatever. But there's a little bit of both. And, and when I've worked with children, I tend to, I just let them like do their thing and they do crazy, wonderful poses on their own. Where if you try and like tell them to what to do, they get very stiff and strange. But adults are like, adults start from being stiff and strange and you have to like... <laughs> them to do things a little bit more. So you have the formal idea and then like environment idea in your mind and through, you know, drawing and gouache studies, and then you bring in the models. Yeah. And so sometimes it is just more of a loose sketch to begin with. And then sometimes I'll, you know, again, it varies from project to project. Sometimes I've done like, you know, pretty fully figured out gouache studies and then brought in the models. And then other times I've photographed people and then then gouache studies from those photos. And it's certainly been easier when I've been able to photograph people in an environment that is kind of the basis for the environment that they're actually going to be painted in. Pool party was done that way, where there was a gazebo at the this pool that I grew up in in my neighborhood. And I actually staged people in that space where other ones like my wedding painting, I was looking for wedding venues online to like find images of some spaces that felt like they would work. And I found like a place in California that I've never been to that I just used some of their photos from the space and created my own version of what that space was. That was also sort of based on I'd been to a wedding the summer before that was at a conservatory that had these like banana leaves and the conservatory that I was actually at was way too large a space for this painting to work. But I liked the idea of having these banana plants. So I kind of combined the structure of this other space that I found with some pictures that I had taken of the space of this other wedding with big banana leaves and then looking up online for more banana leaves to find some other ones to add in and that kind of thing. So it's kind of a, a mix of a lot of different things that make some of these spaces come together. But I definitely want some idea of what space they're going to be in right from the beginning. What's the benefit for you as an artist to get as close as possible, as opposed to just being like, I'll make it up? They end up changing, like that wedding painting, I ended up actually changing the background and relationship, the kind of that color and value relationships a lot partway through. Like I started out with the idea of having this dark blue sky as if it was just getting into evening time. And then it turned out that my bride was too like silhouetted against that dark sky and my eye was just going to the bride. And I ended up putting this kind of light pink building behind her so that she could kind of be camouflaged into the space so that we could look around the whole painting rather than just to the bride. So things like that, like big changes where the whole composition kind of shifts, you know, from having a dark background to having a light background can happen in these projects as they develop. I think it does still help to be like painting with conviction at each stage to be like, okay, here's what I think it is. And I'm putting it in and I'm putting it in strong and I'm trying to get it right trying to get good color and value relationships right from the beginning. And then partway through, sometimes it's like, okay, no, that didn't work. And then I want to wait until I have a new idea, a new conviction of what might work. So I kind of am coming back in. I'm like, okay, no, here's what's going to work. We'll put this building in. This will solve it. But at each stage, I feel like I have something that I'm really clearly trying to paint. And it's not kind of mushy and indeterminate. It's, you know, there's something that I'm really painting. And it almost sounds like that's true. Like wanting to have that clarity of conviction is true at every stage. Yeah, that might be true. Yeah, I think that is kind of the case. And then on the other hand, they're pretty open. I also don't want to feel like, you know, there's some other painters who do like a fully kind of painted version of the painting that's maybe 24 inches, you know, like a whole kind of, you know, mid-sized painting for their larger paintings. I think it's kind of a personal preference about how much you want to have solved before you start. 
mine tend to be my little gua studies are like at a one inch to one foot ratio. So they're pretty simplified. You know, if, if it's a 12 foot painting, I only have a 12 inch study and it's just in gouache and I've just done it in like three hours. I've done a, a few of them, but they're pretty basic. And so there's a lot that I'm still figuring out as I go. And a lot of these elements of more abstraction are parts that aren't pre-planned at all. So I'm pre-planning the composition of the figures and then responding to the painting as it develops with different color and value blocks or breaking things up or adding pattern. And that all is kind of happening as the paintings develop. I think it really is just a personal preference about like how much you want to be solving as it's happening and how much you want to pre-solve and then, and then work your way through. I really have been excited by the element of discovery as I'm working on these larger projects and wanting to like set myself up a problem that I then need to solve through the making the painting and just sort of feeling like I'm juggling the whole painting all the way through rather than having it all the way solved and then just kind of painting section by section and just executing on that idea, which feels like a little bit less like that my whole body isn't as engaged with that. If I'm just kind of painting something that I've already already figured out, then I feel like I can turn my brain off a little bit, where if I'm really trying to solve the whole painting and really working the whole image all the way through, I'm like fully, fully engaged. And I hope that that full engagement is embedded into the image in some way and then like pushes back out at the viewer, that the viewer can feel that sense of engagement and struggle and working through things in a way that feels alive in some way. What from those gouache studies will you translate one-to-one? Everything ends up being a little bit in flux, but basically I will use that to like start laying out the color and value shapes on my large canvas. Like I'll just be holding that study and being like, okay, here's the color of the sky. Let's like put that in. Here's the color of this shirt. And so I'll be using those color and values that I solved on that small scale as the basis for the big painting. And also somewhat the approach, I guess, like some of them I've started, you know, where I'm like, okay, I want to think about having flatter shapes and the gouache lends itself to these more flat shapes. So I want that to translate into the painting. Or maybe I'm just starting this other picnic, I have my little picnic studies here. But this next picnic one, I was wanting to think about it being more like starting much looser and develop and like letting the figures kind of emerge out of more. So rather than putting in fully representational figures and then breaking up the surface with abstract forms, starting very abstractly and kind of feeling out these shapes and then pulling more representation out of the painting is how I'm thinking about approaching this. So I started the gouache study. I did one version of the gouache study that was very stiff and straightforward. And then I did one where I'm, I was starting much more abstractly and kind of letting things develop. And I felt so much more juice in that more abstract start. So I'm, I was actually thinking through how I wanted to approach the painting completely and trying that out a little bit in these studies as well. How, from just like a logistic standpoint, do you get, like, do you grid your gouache studies and then grid your bigger canvas? I've done all of the things that you could do. Sometimes I just am doing it from feel and like, I kind of actually like the way that things end up shifting into space. So sometimes I am just starting completely on the blank canvas. Sometimes I'll add a grid after that, like a one foot grid to kind of be like, okay, where are these figures kind of a little bit more specifically. I've also used a projector to, you know, kind of project some things on and just place them onto the canvas, which makes me a little bit stiff and tight. I think I'm maybe wanting to move away from that, but we'll see. But it's fun to play with those different approaches as well. With this one, I think I want to push it as an abstract painting as long as I can, I think. And yeah, maybe I'll end up adding a grid to kind of figure out where those figures need to be a little bit more specifically. 
The other thing that happens is that when I do the small studies, I've noticed this in like Rubin studies as well. In a Rubin study, the figures are much smaller in proportion to the canvas because he's like, think, you're like thinking about it as you're like looking at this overall composition just as a composition. And then when he expands them into the larger paintings, it becomes about these like embodied, juicy, fleshy figures. And the figures become larger in proportion to the canvas than they were in the study. And I've like felt myself doing that same thing. So in these studies, I tend to start with it, like the figures end up being smaller. And then I'm just like, once I get to the big painting, I want to like make them as big as they possibly can be to fill up that space. So doing a direct transfer of the image that I had doesn't always work. So I'll start with that gouache study and that composite image. And then I'll be looking at all my individual reference photos and just working from them separately. So when I'm actually painting, I'm looking at, you know, just a photo of one person in the space that they happen to be in. And then I end up kind of enlarging them often. So it ends up changing a little bit as well. Well, you talked a little bit about breaking up space. And like when we're talking about space, for someone who's sort of new to art, what types of pictorial space can have someone have in a painting? Yeah, I've been, so I just taught a kind of two-part online course about the kind of history of pictorial space, which was really fun. So I've been interested in, there's a, a book from William Dunning that looks at the, each chapter is a different period where he's kind of talking through formally, like what's happening with pictorial space, how, which is, and pictorial space sounds complicated. It's just like the illusion of depth in painting. You might have the design composition that's on the 2D surface, but how much depth and flatness do we have in the painting? Are we seeing to a distant horizon that's miles away? Or are we just, you know, in an abstract painting, maybe we're only seeing, you know, in a decooning or something, maybe there's the illusion of like, five inches of space or something you feel you still feel some space. But it doesn't go back for miles and miles like you might see in a, a Raphael painting of a Madonna in a meadow with the distant blue hills or something. But there's lots of different variations on how to approach space beyond that. So but it's just been fun to be playing with like, how much depth do I want to have? How much do I want these figures to be kind of piling up on top of each other versus sitting naturalistically in the space? And I've been excited by paintings that have some of that flatness to them, I guess. Like I was trained in the atelier. It's again, kind of me pushing back on the training, I think. I was trained to try and create as much space and realistic illusion of space as possible, right? You can think about the canvas as being like a window into another world where you can be seeing this illusion of a completely believable environment. And I've just been so excited by paintings that are a little bit weirder, like paintings that are kind of from the pre-Renaissance, you know, medieval or early Renaissance paintings, like a Giotto or a Piero, where there's like some parts where they're, you know, in a Giotto, you have like this illusion of space across a figure, like there is some volume to the figure, but then there's like no cast shadows and there's no, like everything is sitting kind of right on the surface. They're just a little bit strange and a little bit weird. And I think they make me slow down and want to like look longer when things aren't just completely as we see them in the, in the everyday world. There's something that's really magical to those, to them being like paintings. They're, they're paintings on a wall that are, and that kind of solidity of those figures feels like it's almost kind of reinforcing the solidity of the surface that it's on. Like these were frescoes that are painted on a wall and the forms are just so massive and solid individually, but then they're kind of floating in this space. So I'm just, I'm kind of excited by these things that are a little bit stranger. So that's been really fun to be playing with in the last couple of years. People are familiar sort of like cast shadows and form shadows, all that stuff. But how do you create flatness in your work? There's a number of different ways to think about it. So one of the things I've been playing with is, is pattern. So like in medieval paintings, sometimes you'll see that there's like a beautiful brocade garment or something. And the, 
there's like value shifts across the garment that show how it folds and shifts. But then there's just pattern that's printed like across it completely flat on the canvas. The pattern doesn't follow the folds. So I've done some paintings where I'm kind of playing with that and just having completely flat pattern on, on someone's dress or something or on the sky so that instead of the sky sitting back miles and miles away, the sky is kind of sitting right on the surface as well because there's it's both reading as sky and then kind of alternately reading as as a pattern that's right on the surface, which then kind of makes everything else want to push forward from the sky because that's the thing that's furthest away, but it's also kind of alternately reading as if it's on the surface of the painting. So sometimes it, it could be this tension of things not reading only in one way. So with that example of the sky, so it reads in two different ways. Our eyes kind of is flipping between, oh, is that in the distance or is that right on the surface? So creating that kind of tension, that push and pull is another way to create some flatness, I guess, is some kind of complication to the image. When you play with flatness in form, do you create realism and then find places to flatten? Like, is the flattening one of the pieces of discovery that happens in the painting process? That's a mix as well, I think. There are some paintings where I've also been thinking about just having the figures be flatter, like instead of really trying to get that like shadow shape and core shadow and really creating, you know, all of that volume across the lights, like just letting things be like, it's a tradition that comes more out of like Cezanne and modernism of having, thinking about the body in terms of planes and just laying in like, okay, so we have the shadow plane and then we have like another plane. And, you know, so there, there's maybe some indication of a volume that, that those planes create. But they're also reading just as planes that are like sitting on the flat surface of the canvas. So again, there's that kind of tension between these two different realities of the paint being paint and this illusion of space that's happening. So I've been playing with that in terms of how I'm approaching the form itself as well. You know, so some of the paintings, I have been painting more volumetrically, and then some paintings I'm painting just more in terms of this kind of planar approach. And so I guess, I, yeah, I'm kind of playing with the different ways of working with this. Some of the other ones I have painted more volumetrically from the beginning and then brought in these abstract elements around the figures that kind of help push the figures, that kind of help push the space forward so that those figures aren't in an environment that are fully surrounding them. But maybe some of it is just pushing onto the surface of the canvas again and kind of holding them there. They're almost kind of like thinking about creating kind of a separate value and color composition than what was there that kind of anchors the figures, like kind of locks the figures onto the canvas that locks everybody into place in a new way than just the naturalistic way that they were in that space. I'm not sure. It's, I feel like I'm just kind of excited by that, these kind of senses of space myself right now. Like that's the thing that like these paintings feel more alive to me if there's something a little bit peculiar about them rather than just being straightforward representational imagery. They just feel a little bit more like there's more tension, there's more slowing down to kind of parse out the information in the image as you're looking at it, because you can't just get a quick read on, on what the image is. It's kind of like, what's really happening there? Is there a person in that shadow? Like, what's going on? So I think I'm finding that more engaging for me. You know, again, those are kind of personal preferences. You know, it's like, what are people engaged? What are, you know, what are you engaged by as a painter is not very particular to each person. And I guess the other part of that is that it's been a way to engage with kind of the history of modernism, like I came out of this academic, traditional 19th century approach to painting. And it's felt really important for me to try and anchor myself as a, you know, that I'm a woman who's painting in the 21st century and living in, you know, kind of a suburban world and to be painting paintings that feel like they're coming from me and my life and experience and perspective and, and are engaging with the world as it is. Like I love Rembrandt lighting, but I don't live in a world that's lit by beautiful dark kerosene lanterns and gloomy interiors. I live in a world of fluorescent, 
horrible lighting and plastic objects. And I want to like, I don't know, be finding the beauty in the world that I'm in as it is and not trying to go back to a world that doesn't exist anymore, which is a mix of, you know, it's also like I'm doing these like handmade, carefully observed paintings of like Tupperware, you know, it's kind of a funny thing. But I think that juxtaposition is maybe kind of interesting, like trying to fall in love with the things that actually do surround me. When you start to play with flattening and like you're bringing in pattern or bringing in texture, if you're working in a given area that's dark, for example, what do you need to stay true to? Like in a shape, are you trying to stay true to keeping that a shape, but adding pattern and texture to flatten it? Or can you sort of do anything in that space? That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if I have a clear answer to that, though, because I am sort of finding my way through these things. There's like a little bit intuitive as I'm working in this kind of other mode of just trying to like balance the composition. The thing that I am trying to stay true to, I guess, is like getting the image to work as a whole and trying to balance the whole composition and to keep my eye moving through. So one of the things I've been thinking about is kind of like camouflaging the figures into the space so that they don't, because like our eye tends to go to figures and to faces just as a viewer, like we're so fine-tuned to find figures in a painting. So if I'm putting it a figure, can I like have kind of what I was describing in that wedding painting, you know, if I have a bride in a white dress, can I put a light background behind her so that she's just sitting into a space that is more like her rather than being silhouetted against a dark sky? So I am trying to make decisions that are keeping my eye moving through the whole painting as I'm developing it. And if I, you know, if I was working in a dark area and I brought too much light into it, maybe that would mess up my read of the whole painting. And, you know, maybe I need that dark area to serve as a big shadow shape to structure the composition. So, you know, maybe I want to keep that as a dark shadow shape that doesn't draw too much attention to itself so it can support, I think about the shadow shapes kind of being the the anchor, like supporting the light shapes. I want my eye to be moving through the light shapes of the painting and not getting caught into the shadows too much. You know, so maybe if I was putting pattern into a shadow, into a you know, kind of dark area, I might want to keep the value exactly the same and just have a color shift or something like that. Maybe the pattern is the exact same value as what's behind it, but a completely different color. But I don't know if there's a kind of clear rule for, for any of the things I've been trying. <laughs> and that's why, why these paintings end up with like 40 layers of paint in places. And I have conviction each time. Each time I'm like, okay, this is going to solve it. This is the answer. This pattern and this value and color will make all the difference. I'm going to put it right here and that's going to do it. And then I'll like do that. And then it's like, okay, okay, no. <laughs> and then the next day it's like, okay, so what if I adjusted that? You know, what if I like filled in the, the spaces between the pattern, you know, with red now, like that's going to solve it. Let me try that. So each time I'm kind of trying out a new solution to try and get the, the image to work. You mentioned a class a couple of times that you've taught. Could you just tell us more about that class and how people could find it? Oh, yeah, that's available on my website still. There's a, I teach a class kind of live about once a year. And then there's a pre-recorded version of each class that's available forever. So if people are interested, you could go check it out on my, on my website, which is Zoe Frank, and it's under the teaching section. But yeah, so each one is kind of a, an hour-long lecture where I'm kind of exploring in this class, it was about pictorial space. So we're looking at a chapter or a few chapters of this book from William Dunning and giving a lecture with slides, kind of talking through those ideas and looking at kind of contemporary examples and comparing historical paintings to modern paintings and kind of looking at these interesting juxtapositions between really different periods of work, like comparing de Kooning to medieval paintings and stuff, which is really fun. And then there's an hour-long demo where I'm showing me kind of exploring that idea in a still-life painting. 
And then there's a kind of assignment that's given each week for people to do those projects, to do an exploration on their own and try out a different version of space in their own painting project. If someone came to you and said, I want to get really good at painting, what advice do you give them? Work from observation as much as possible. I think that's the way to learn to paint and is just like essential to keep coming back to. Even if you end up doing some, you know, photo-based things or imaginative painting, I think learning to paint is done through observation. And taking classes is really, really helpful. <laughs> I've learned so much from, from doing the atelier and doing a master's degree and then to continuing to take some other classes with other folks. I think it's, it's just really, really valuable. And then look at paintings. Like you have to love painting and you have to love looking at paintings and like going to see paintings in person, looking at books of paintings, spending time really looking at work, I think is really important. You can learn more about Zoe Frank at her website, zoefrank.com and on Instagram. And we'll link to everything in the show notes, including the class she just mentioned. Thank you so much for being with us today, Zoe. Oh, thank you for having me. This has been really fun to talk through. Those are great questions. And yeah, really, really fun to be talking about painting. Thank you for joining me this week on the podcast. Did you enjoy the episode? If yes, take a screenshot and share it on Instagram. Tag me at Learn to Paint Podcast so I can say hello and thank you. Podcast Art Club members, your extended cut bonus with Frank is live on Patreon. You can find a link in the show notes or linked through learntopaintpodcast.com slash podcast slash episode 80. In the extended cut bonus, you'll learn how doing a mid-process study can help you problem solve and the importance of having really specific ideas when you explore. Take a listen now by joining the Podcast Art Club at any tier, and you'll find over 30 additional extended cut bonuses to explore. Plus, you'll get access to monthly group challenges, each designed to help you build practical tools into your art practice. Head to patreon.com slash learn to paint podcast and sign up at any tier to listen. Thank you to everyone over in the Podcast Art Club. You make this show possible. Extra shiny thank yous to High Gloss supporters, Andrew Atterbury, Debbie and Brian Miller, Rihanna DeRold, Janet Wheeler, Nancy Bryant, Pam Lyle, and Slow River Studio. Happy painting.